Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Greetings all and welcome to Black Hole Cinema with your host Tony Black. And this week feels a bit of a fallow period for films which seems strange it feels like the calm before the storm really we have two massive blockbusters on the horizon in Godzilla and X-Men Days of Future Past over the next two weeks and in the build up to that it just feels a little bit like treading water slightly so given I'm conscious of the fact that the last two episodes ran quite long and may have been a little bit of a an ask for people wanting to listen for an hour and a half this will be perhaps a slightly shorter episode this week as I'm not going to be reviewing that much. I only have one new film on the on the cards this week. There will be another interview with one of my best friends about their favourite movie. I'll be going down the current UK top 10 at the movies and I'll talk to you a little bit about the movies that I've been watching this week. I'm also going to cheat slightly this time around and talk a little bit about TV because it's actually been quite a significant week for television. And there, there are tie-ins to, to movies with a lot of what I'm going to talk about with that, because we are entering a, a new season of pickups and things like that, and things being cancelled and shows coming back that do tie into the movies a little bit. So I will be talking about that. And admittedly, I've been very excited by some of that stuff this week. But as I say, it's felt a little bit fallow on the actual cinematic side plus the fact I've kind of seen a lot of the stuff that is out there there is one out this week that I'm not reviewing which is probably the best film out actually this week The Wind Rises from Hayao Miyazaki from Studio Ghibli but I feel that I'm not well versed enough in Studio Ghibli to properly adequately review that so I'm going to wait and watch that at a later date once I've caught up with Miyazaki's work so I will be avoiding that if people are wondering why I haven't reviewed The Wind Rises. That's the reason why. And I also won't be reviewing Frank. And I'm really, really disappointed about this. Because Frank isn't really being shown at Cineworld. And I do rely quite a bit on Cineworld uh, with my Cineworld card that I pay for every month in order to see all these films. 
because otherwise it does become quite expensive having to seek out other movies you know the cinemas and pay extra and you can't always find them anyway we are quite lucky in Birmingham that we've got the electric cinema which is an old 1920 cinema it's the oldest cinema in the country actually and they do try and put on movies that are not being picked up by Cineworld they've shown Calvary this year they may even be showing Frank actually but it's a case of I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get to it but I was quite I was disappointed enough with Cineworld to actually tweet them and tell them so because I found out that they were only showing it in 16 cinemas across the country about six of which were based in London alone and there was no coverage in the West Midlands at all there was in the East Midlands and probably the nearest apart from that was Cheltenham which is quite a bit of a way and I don't understand that when you've got at least three cinemas in the West Midlands why Frank would be omitted from a a large area of of the UK so I tweeted them and they did get back to me actually whoever runs the Cineworld Twitter did get back apologising for the fact they they only put it on a certain amount of screens and they take it into consideration which is good of them but it doesn't solve the problem so they have earned some goodwill this year in the fact they did show the double which may could have well been something they they missed because it wasn't a blockbuster they did show under the skin which i was really worried they wouldn't so that's good for, and they are showing the wind rises in fairness which is a subtitled japanese animation so fair play for that but it's not enough still <laughs> considering what you pay for every month and frank isn't a tiny budget thing it's got michael fassbender in it there's no you know it's not a tiny budget Curio. It's a curio, but it's not a tiny budget thing. It's something that I think he is big enough, as Calvary was, he's big enough to actually be on Cineworld, and it was just disappointing that they didn't secure it. So I am hoping as as the year rolls on, they will get more of these things. So that's, again, why I'm not reviewing Frank, unfortunately. If I can get to see it, then it will be in next week's show, although next week's show stands to be quite busy, but we'll see. Anyway, I'll talk to you now about what I've been watching over the last seven days, roughly. It's been not been a massive week in terms of what I, the, the amount I've watched, but it has been driven by one franchise rewatch, which I'll get to in a minute. But on last Sunday, I watched three films. I started with The Black Hole, a 1979 Disney adventure film, science fiction, which is a really interesting one because the, I'd heard quite a lot about The Black Hole over the years which is quite a fitting way to start this podcast, isn't it, really? Start talking about films. It is in no way related to me or the Black, or the black Hole Cinema. But The Black Hole, yeah, is uh, taking a cue. If, if, it's, it's like a, a kid-friendly version of Event Horizon, basically, in which a bunch of scientists go out, they find this ship that's gotten down a black hole. Turns out there's a bit of a mad scientist on there and these robots and, and there's dastardly plans afoot. But it's it's one of those films that is ripe for remaking the black hole and they apparently they are Joseph Kaczynski who did Oblivion and Tron Legacy although that's not really much of a feather in his cap he's apparently behind a black hole remake and much as I don't necessarily think he's going to make a great film I do think there's a massive potential in remaking the black hole because it does have the the opportunity for spectacle it could you know they they want to go for very much a 2001 vibe you know what it feels a bit more like is a serious version of Lost in Space in the end because it's very hokey. It's incredibly seventies. It's got a good cast though. It's got people like Robert Forster and Maximilian Schell and Ernest Borgnine. You know, it's got it's got these really good character actors, but it's it's very 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 silly in many places and it has not aged well at all. It's tacky, but it also looks very nice. And and from a visual standpoint, I think it would have looked quite nice in the cinema as well. But it's one of those films that's never quite become a classic. 
and that's why most people probably don't really know what it is you know as it wanted to ride the crest of Star Wars but it didn't get nearly the same amount of traction does however have a really really great score by John Barry and John Barry very rarely does anything that isn't great but it's one of his lesser known ones so check it out for that alone after the black hole I watched The Dictator which is the last I believe it was the last film by Sacha Baron Cohen in which he takes one of his edgy characters and puts them on the big screen however this one's different in that his character here General Aladdin, who's the general of this fictional African state who basically comes to New York and under the guise of signing a treaty to stop weapons of mass destruction however he gets replaced by a double and then he has to learn life lessons by teaming up with a peace actor uh, campaigner who he falls in love with but ultimately he realises that he doesn't want democracy he actually wants to stop it all that it's like an inversion of the whole zero to hero thing and it's it's a strange it's it's not traditional in that it's not a TV, one of these TV characters it's not Ali G it's not Borat it's not Bruno it's not a character that was on on any of the eleven o'clock shows or anything like that it's a new character and it's a decent idea for satire but it's it's one of those you know with with the other films I haven't actually seen the Ali G film but Ali G as a character worked really well in in the skits he did in the late nineties Bruno was his least funny one but the Bruno film wasn't too bad Borat obviously for me, he's, he's one of the funniest comedies of, of, of the last decade. They really got the Borat film right. But it's the same. He always does the same story, Sacha Baron Cohen. He, he's, it's a formula that he sticks to. And The Dictator, though, is the one where it doesn't really work as well. There's funny, there are funny moments, there are funny lines, but they're few and far between. And there are times when he really, really, really crosses the line. You know, he really crosses the line into beyond bad taste. There's one line in particular about um, sodomising children, which he's just not funny and it, I was sitting there going oh no no this is actually quite unpleasant now so I yeah I no there, there was, he got he, he crossed the point really of in, into into darker territory which I didn't particularly like I can see why people would find it funny but I think it's his weakest film yet after that I watched Time Code which is something uh, a film by Mike Figgis from uh, 2000 which is something I've been fascinated by for years because it's one of the first examples of using split screen in fact I don't think I've ever seen a film quite like this in using split screen to tell one big like portmanteau story over the course of, of real time, 90 minutes. This, this came out just before 24, uh, hit the, the the TV screens. And it's basically set around this Los Angeles production house. And it follows this myriad of characters who are all interconnected to uh, this making, you know, making the behind the scenes of this, of this movie that they're trying to make. There's like actresses and and producers and things like that and it, it's all about infidelity really the whole thing but it actually happens there are four screens and you have to basically watch four screens at once and it's it's like a very voyeuristic kind of look into the lives of these people and, it, and it, as I say it's in real time it's very pretentious and it's it's very it's a, quite up its own ass to a degree and you won't care about anybody in it but it's it's quite fascinatingly well done actually and it uses, you know, it was interesting that he, he shot it on VHS and then he uh, transposed it into uh, onto film. And it, it, it's, it shows, it's quite like, it's almost a bit lo-fi. But it's it's not a thrilling film, but it's got a fantastic cast. You know, it's got it's got Stellan Skarsgård, Salma Hayek, Saffron Burroughs, just loads of people, loads and loads of people crop up in this. Who are actors that some of whom are recognised? In fact, some of whom have actually become more famous as time has gone on. Some of whom have become less famous, but you'll probably recognise them from films. Good character actors and such. But so it's got a great cast, and it's it is from from a technical point of view, it's quite fascinating. It, it's a, it just is a bit smug, but 
it's uh, it's a, it's a really if you if you're interested in film, it's not a conventional film in any way, and there are a lot of people who get bored by it. But it is quite a fascinating experiment. And Mike Figgis is, is nothing but interesting as a filmmaker, so it's worth a look. The next day, I managed to get through five films. I did well with this. Started with Monsters Inc., which is obviously one of Pixar's most well-known films. Something that I've never watched. You know, I'm not fully versed on all the Pixar. I'm starting to pick that up now. And Monsters Inc. was a delight. You know, it was absolutely a delight from start to finish. I don't think it has the sophistication or the comedy of the Toy Story trilogy, which is still Pixar's benchmark. You know, their watermark. And it didn't move me as much as Up. But I think that Monsters, Inc. just has a real combination of everything, really. It's got a great story. It's animated beautifully. Billy Crystal and John Goodman are fantastic as the voice actors. And you do end up caring about Sully and, and Mike. And you do end up liking them. And it's just it's just loads of fun, really. And I'm preaching to the converted because I th- I'm sure most people have watched Monsters, Inc. and love it. So if you do, then fair play because I really enjoyed it. I scraped a bit of a barrel then, unfortunately, because I watched two very underwhelming films. First off was Land of the Lost, which was a Will Ferrell remake of a 1970s adventure series about a lost land, you know, clues in the title. And But it's made like one of those Will Ferrell, you know, shouty man-child comedies. It's got Danny McBride in it playing the same character he always plays, like this angry, like, fundamentalist guy, survivalist guy. Anna Friel's in it. To be honest, she's slumming it, really. She's better than this stuff. She looks lovely all the way through, but she's better than this. As is Ferrell. I mean, I like Will Ferrell. You know, he he, he does a, he does a lot of duff movies, but I like the guy, and I, I like his style of comedy, and he, he always makes me laugh. But unfortunately, in this, he's just not served at all by, by a weak script. And it just totally doesn't know what it wants to be. One minute it wants to be adventure. It's got this big rousing score by Michael, Gi- Michael Giacchino. And then it's trying to be like, you know where they go to this lost land they find this crystal mirror and it's all mystical but then they start singing do you believe in life after love by Cher because the voice distorts and it, it's it's you know it's one of those moments where you think well I, I, I should be laughing a, a, like a, a drain at this but I'm just not it just doesn't work so that's not really worth your time certainly not worth your time it's cheaper by the dozen by oh, with Steve Martin which was just an ordeal to be honest I mean Steve Steve Martin has this horrible career trajectory where he started off making these quite brilliant films like The Man With Two Brains and The Jerk and stuff like that and then he he, he had this middling kind of era where he would make quite a few romantic comedies you know or, or, or things like you know Parenthood and stuff and, and then, he, then he did Bilko which torched his career pretty much and then he did Bowfinger which was great and he wrote and he wrote Bowfinger and Bowfinger's really underrated. Bowfinger's loads of fun. You know, he, he turned Eddie Murphy a little bit around in that as well. And then he went and did Cheaper by the Dozen, and it's just like... And, but he, he interspersed it by doing things like The Spanish Prisoner and Shop Girl and, you know, and all this, this more interesting stuff. And then he just does two Cheaper by the Dozen films. I can't bear the thought of watching Cheaper by the Dozen 2. I will do it probably out of masochism, but eventually. But Cheaper by the Dozen is just an ordeal. And when, when the the funniest moment and when I say funny I mean not funny is Ashton Kutcher getting his balls eaten by a dog is, is the moment you know that you, you, you life's too short after that I then watched Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones which I remember watching in the, in the 90s because Volcano was in that era where in the late 90s where they would have two blockbusters rival blo- with pretty much the same concept rivaling each other and this was the year before the big one, which was Deep Impact versus Armageddon. And, you know, the, the winner of that contest is always Deep Impact. Always, always, always. 
But in this case, it was Volcano versus Dante's Peak. Now, Dante's Peak had Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton in it, and it was basically Pierce Brosnan trying to out to Volcano. This, on, on a mountain, this is Tommy Lee Jones trying to out to Volcano that isn't a volcano because it's under Los Angeles. And it's one of the, it, it's trying to, it's very kitsch, it's very 70s, it's very like an Irwin Allen disaster movie, like Terry Inferno and stuff like that, without that kind of charm. But it's, it is old-fashioned, and it, Tommy Lee Jones is always watchable, even if he's in crap. And it is crap, really. But it's it's fairly entertaining crap. It knows how, kind of knows how daft it is. Kind of doesn't. But it doesn't really care. You know, it's not one of those films that has to invest a lot character-wise and all this. It's not really bothered about that. It just pretty much gets on with trash in LA. And it's still, it's stupid. But it's it's watchably stupid. It's background, you know, it's not too bad. The next day... I then well I finished that night with another film but I'll get to that in a minute the next day I watched The Gumball Rally which is a really un- unknown kind of uh, mid 1970s precursor to the Cannonball Run interestingly enough it was it was based on the actual Cannonball Run race and then the Gumball Rally itself sport was spawned the actual Gumball Rally was spawned by this film and then after this film came the Cannonball Run series now the Cannonball Run films are not good you know, the first Cannonball Run, I think everyone seems to think the first Cannonball Run is great. And it's one of those comedy classics. It's really not. It's it's not very good at all. It's not very funny. It's awful. Cannonball Run 2, I have a soft spot for. I don't know what it is, but I, I it's terrible. It is, it is actually terrible, but I actually really quite like Cannonball Run 2, and I don't really know why. But the first Cannonball Run is no good. The Gumball Rally is like a slightly less zany version of Cannonball Run. I would argue it's a bit better, slightly better... But the problem it's got, and this is another one that could do with re- being remade, much like the Black Hole. The Gumball Rally has no stars in it. You know, with with the Cannonball Run, it had Burt Reynolds being charming and and Dom DeLuise as um, da, 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 you know the captain, whatever he is, and he's you know it has and it has Frank Sinatra cropping up and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis and all these people, you know, and so that's what carried that on. You know, Roger Moore spoofing Bond, all that kind of stuff. But the Gumball Rally doesn't have any of that. Doesn't have anyone famous. It's it's got you know it's got an early Raoul Julia um, who obviously sadly died fairly young. But he, he and he's like he was like a young guy. He's like Javier Bardem in this. He's, he reminds me of that. He's got him in it, but he's not massively well known unless you're a film fan anymore. But that's it really. There's, there is there isn't really anyone else. You might spot the odd one or two people, but n- no one famous. And I think that didn't help it for once. Actually, it could have done with a few big names to carry it along and be more of a ca- you know a big cast comedy. But it, it's not, and it doesn't really have the script or the ideas to really carry it along. Otherwise, it's a it's an interesting one. It's a curio. You probably you probably won't catch it really. I don't think many people have really watched it. But it's it's an interesting precursor to a lot of the caper driving movies that came along like Cannonball Run. But the night before that. I started a rewatch of a franchise I haven't seen in t- in full for a long time, the Terminator franchise. The reason I'm doing this is because Black Zero Network, who obviously we're tethered to, is my writing website, and I actually came up with an idea for a Terminator 5, which I've been working the, the, the plot points out, which I may write for fun, actually. I think I probably will write the script for fun. And I was thinking about how that would work, and I realised I, I, I wanted to go back and rewatch the trilogy to see if I could make the story I've come up with for that script work. I say trilogy, quadrilogy, I should say. So I started with The Terminator, which obviously is a classic. You know, I've seen all these before, and, it, and the, the Terminator remains brilliant. You know, the, the, it, it does remain brilliant. The second one's better, but the first one 
to to some extent, I think I I think I love the first one more, even though I think the second one is a better film. Because the first one is just this relentless, lo-fi, pulpy chase thriller. It's really grimy. It's very eighties. It's very it's very of its time. But it's James Cameron's obviously first big film that really put him on the map and got him the Aliens gig and all this stuff. And it's you know not for my money, Aliens is still James Cameron's best film. But it's just. It's just fantastic. You know, everyone in it, Linda Hamilton, Michael Byrne, obviously Arnie, you know, and this was the film that really put him on the map, you know, with, even though it's the second film really that consolidates his Terminator. This, this was the one where he plays the evil Terminator, you know, he's, he's, just, he's just a killing machine. And it's, it's, just, it's just really exciting, you know, in a way that most films can't do. Only takes a slight dip when it has to rush the romance between Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese. But it, apart from that, it's just... It's just so so well done, and you know, it's so much. So many films have tried and failed to replicate what James Cameron did in that film, and they just haven't been able to do it. The next day, then I watched Terminator Two, which I went and bought, which I got for from Computer Exchange for one pound fifty, which I was very happy with. And so yeah, I went and rewatched Terminator Two, which is one of those films that everyone agrees really is probably the best of the four. And I, I would agree. I would think from a, from a from a technical standpoint, it's the best one. You know, it's a proper epic. You know, it's nearly two and a half hours long, but it doesn't feel that long. And it just it just escalates. It does what a sequel should do. It escalates everything to the next point. It takes the story of John Connor and of Sarah Connor onwards to a really interesting place, and then brings the Terminator back in a fresh new way, and, he, and does this brilliant father kind of twisted father son family dynamic. You know, it's about this dysfunctional family basically trying to make their own fate and it's so well done it's so the action is is, is thrilling the the t-1000 the you know the robert patrick terminator when he when he morphs in shape shifts it's still impressive even though the technology has come on leaps and bounds over the last 20 odd years it's still impressive even now i mean t- but back then what what james cameron did was phenomenal you know it was in fact he he he, he didn't make the sequel until he knew the technology could catch up that so he could do that because he actually wanted the original terminator to be able to shapeshift and morph and have that, you know, texture. But in 1983, 1984, he didn't have the technology and he knew that he'd have to wait until it started catching up. Like, you know, like like a lot of these guys who have taken actual film technology, people like, you know, George Lucas as well, who've waited quite a long time for the technology to catch up to their films, which Cameron is still doing, which is why it's taken him forever to do the avatars. But, you know, he got there in the end and, and what he made and what he constructed out of that was just pretty terrific on the whole. So Terminator 2 is, is is a terrific second film as in 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 the in the franchise. And then we get to Terminator 3, which was a good 10 odd years later and you know it it didn't need to be done. The ne- these next two films didn't really need to be done. It was the point where James Cameron had finished the story to his mind. Even though he talked about doing a Terminator 3, he could never tell a story that he felt was worthy of a third film and there was a lot to do with rights you know that was another battle that they were having in between making these films to do with the rights being owned by different companies and it took time to get that sorted out so Terminator 3 took another uh, 12 years to make and you know it, it, it gets a lot of a lot of bad press Terminator 3 I don't think it's nearly as bad as people have tried to make it out over the years it's you know it's it's not nearly as good as the Cameron films but it's it's a good threat it's a good chase thriller again like like the first one with elements of the second one it, you know, it doesn't have the same... I mean, Nick Style isn't a particularly great John Connor. He's all right, but he's a bit... He's not Edward Furlong edgy. You know, Claire Danes is pretty good as, as, the, as, the, as the love interest. And, and, and Arnie's back in it, and Arnie's still great. It was the last film Arnie did before he went off to be the governator, you know, of California. And it was just... 
trying to force bits of comedy because obviously the second film had the Terminator being funny but it was in a way that w- was re- was logical for him as a machine who didn't understand things that John Connor as a child was trying to tell him they try and do that comedy again with him but it doesn't work the same way because John Connor's an adult now and it, it loses that kind of Pinocchio-esque charm really I mean there's this one horrendous scene in Terminator 3 which where it, when, when, he, when he first arrives he goes into a a bar full of women screaming and looking for clothes and there's a stripper and he takes the stripper's clothes and then he pulls out a pair of, of what we think are going to be shades like as a, as a homage to the last film and the film before and they're like these sparkly stripper glasses and you think no this is this is the point where somebody thought that was funny and they thought yeah we'll have that in the film that'd be great yeah and then it, you realise no you're just actually putting sparkly stripper glasses on the Terminator no and that, if, if that, that was just horrendous luckily the film manages to survive that but it could have easily not so it's not brilliant but it's got some good effects and, it, and the biggest thing about Terminator 3 really that bumps it up for me is the ending because they had the balls to actually set the bomb off you know at the end of Terminator 3 you know they, they did do what a lot of films wouldn't have done and basically took the story to its logical conclusion and weren't afraid of doing that so I, I will defend Terminator 3 to a point because I don't think it's as bad as people say I won't however do that for the for the last one so far Terminator Salvation which it's I remember seeing that at the cinema four, five years ago and I quite enjoyed it first time round God, God knows why I presume it's because I hadn't watched as many films as I have now and I've seen better things but and maybe it was possibly watching it in in succession the day days after the the, the other films but it's so boring Terminator Salvation is obviously set in post-judgment day, you know, when, when, when Skynet rises and all this, and it's, you know, set in the future, this dystopian post-apocalyptic future, and it is the war against the machines, and, and Christian Bale is John Connor. The only thing is in this, Christian Bale isn't actually the main star. The main star is Sam Worthington, who plays this convicted murderer who's just a, a, a complete... I mean, Sam Worthington is just a really boring actor anyway. He's not no screen presence whatsoever. So to put him in against Christian Bale, who when Christian Bale isn't playing characters with a little bit more life he's not particularly great anyway you know I, I don't really think Christian Bale is, is as great an actor as people try and tell me he is I think he's very good in a lot of things but he just spends the whole film doing this very thready voice as John Connor everything's you know it's like it's a bit like Batman but not quite it's like Batman without you know he's had a, had a throat sweep it's, it's just it's just so boring it's got so much explosions and shooting and crashing and all that kind of thing you know more than the other films, and it's just trying to cover that because it up with because it's just so hollow and empty. And it's McGee who is directing it, and McGee can't direct his way out of a paper bag. So it's it's you know even though he does visually make it look nice, but as has been commented by him, he was trying to evoke Children of Men in a few other films, and it basically just feels like a guy who's just seen the films he likes and thought right, I'm going to copy that and I'll tweak it slightly, and no one will notice. Well, we kind of do, McGee, I'm afraid. We kind of do notice, and that's what you've done. So, it's it looks good. It's got a decent enough cast, but it's snooze-inducingly boring. So, avoid that. That was the last thing I watched, Terminator Salvation, and now I'm at the point where, with my story, that I feel that I do know how to tell this story. So, I will direct people to the script whenever I get a chance to write it. It'll probably be in the summer. And you can see my version of of Terminator 5 before we get Terminator Genesis next year or whatever it's going to be called which is filming now which should be very interesting so those are the films I've watched this week and on that 
Let's have a review, shall we? So as I said, it felt a bit of a fallow period this week in terms of things to go and watch. But the chief one that I wanted to see, I suppose I wanted to see it, I was half and half, was Sabotage, the latest film from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yo, I'm the judge. Don't blow your balls off. Don't worry, they're made of grass. Are they as big as your wife's? <laughs> go, go, go. Cover your sides. Sure. Target down! Yes, Matt. Down. Clean up aisle three. So I was on the fence, really, with sabotage as to whether I even wanted to go. You know, I kept almost talking myself out of it at various points. And with good reason, as it turns out, because you know when you watch a trailer, sometimes you just get a hunch about something. And I had this same hunch with the other woman, although to be honest, it less a hunch, it was more staring you in the face how god-awful that was. But with Sabotage, I had a similar hunch, because I was watching the trailer and I was thinking, I don't really like this. It just doesn't seem very interesting. And... Even with Arnie, you know, and I, I, I will extol the virtues of Arnie till the cows come home. You know, he's he's great fun. He always has been. And, yeah, he can't act for Toffee, but he's Arnie. He's a living legend. So he automatically gets a bit more dispensation. However, there was just something about sabotage that I couldn't shake, that I knew I had a real feeling I wasn't going to like it. But I went in there with no expect, genuinely no expectations of it at all. You know, it could have been one of those cases where I went in expecting something average and it turns out to surprise me which has happened a couple of times this year this didn't happen with sabotage this is the thing is arnie hasn't really had this career renaissance that i think he expected to you know he went away for 10 years and he was governor of california you know he did all that came back into the films and he did things like the last stand and escape plan and, and a, f- a few of these films you know which on paper have very arnie kind of things you know like one man against a whole like town of bandits him and him and Stallone escaping a prison, you know, and and then in this case he's obviously this this DEA agent who's a living legend because he takes down drug lords and all this kind of thing. So he's he's potentially and his name you know his name's Breacher, which is a, such a, a, a such an Arnie kind of name for a character, you know, John Breacher Warden or something like. That. So it's immediately it's it on paper it should be Arnie as this badass leader of a unit who basically go in and there, but it's not that at all. And again, it's a case of. And I haven't seen the other two major films that people have talked about with Arnie coming back, but I, they're on the list to do. But this one just didn't feel like an Arnie film at all. And yes, okay, we have certain expectations now as to what makes an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. You know, you expect it to be stupid, you expect it to be loud, you expect it to be full of quips, you expect him, him to be a certain type. And I'm not saying that Arnie necessarily has to just do one stock thing all the time, but Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger has always had... He can't act, but he's got a certain charm about him, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's he's lasted because he does have that certain. It's why he's been able to do softer stuff as well as the hard man things. It's why he's been able to invert his image, and the one thing that he can't do is dour, and and sabotage is dour. It is so so dour, so grim, so depressing, so bland, so just life suckingly boring and leaden that you can't quite believe that Arnie's in it. And it's the kind of role, therefore, that potentially would have suited much more of a character actor, oddly enough, because it's not one of those big, brawny action man roles. You know, he can't get away with them as much anymore because he, you know, he's he's starting to look his age. He's still got the bulk and everything, 
but he's clearly a man in his 60s, you know, like Stallone. They're both kind of realising, you know, we can't quite do all this shit anymore. We've got to play that hard man, but just let the younger kids come on and do all the action stuff. The fact is, in Sabotage, there isn't really any action stuff. You know, you get the odd bit of gunplay here and there, but it's not that kind of film. It's marketed much more as an action thriller. And it is, in in essence, it's actually much more of a crime drama slash with a slight bit of mystery to it and an investigative kind of thing. But it's so, so grim and depressing that it's hard to... You, you, it, the thing is, what I, what I was trying to think all the way through, I was thinking, is this just badly written or is it just badly cast and badly paced and badly directed? The director's David Ayer, who's done End of Watch and SWAT and a few of these like fairly hard films. And, and it's... You know, so he's not necessarily a terrible, terrible director. The writers involved aren't necessarily terrible writers. And I get the feeling that Sabotage the Script may actually possibly have been a little better earlier on. I don't know. But it, uh, on, on the face of it, it's an awful, awful script. I mean, the, the, the interplay between the team, which is made up of, you know, several p- faces you'll recognise. You know, Josh Holloway from Lost, Sam Worthington who I previously described in this podcast as having all the charisma as a pine tree. And it's, it, it, again, he, he's, he's not very good in this. You know, it's got, it's got, it's Cuba Gooding Jr., you know, it's, it's got people who you'll recognise, Olivia Williams, who is absolutely slumming it here. I, I mean, you know, she really is. She's so much better than any, anything in this film. Not that she's great in it, but she's better than it, is what I'm saying. So it's got all these actors in it, and it's, you know... It's got a, it's got a relatively decent cast, but they're playing. Oh my god, they're playing such unlikable characters. There is no one in this, even Arnie. Arnie's not as much of a douchebag as everyone else, and nor is Olivia Williams. But they are still just. There's nothing interesting about them. At the very least, there's nothing interesting about those characters. At the worst, they are the most irritating, annoying people I think I've ever sat watching you know they're supposed to be endearing because they're all badass you know they literally have conversations where they'll be saying things like who who dropped ass what the fuck man who what the fuck are you doing and was, you know it's like fuck you boy and all, it, it, honestly it's just that constantly it's that kind of really irritating dialogue that you used to get in the 80s 80s and 90s but without any of the charm to it you know it, it, in a way it feels like a throwback this film it's weird it feels like this throwback of, of all this cheesy 80s stuff without any of the charm and also more of a modern sensibility about it being quite gritty and down and gr- and grim and having certain camera angles that have, you know, the certain action sequences that are filmed like Bourne-style kind of gritty in the ground. And you're thinking, oh, just lighten up, for God's sake. You just want, you just want the film to actually just show some signs that it is more than just a really gritty, down oh soul destroying piece of work and it, and it, and it, it is it really is it's hard to describe it really in, 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 in more in better terms because it is just so difficult to get through you know there were, there were many points where I was just checking my phone or I was thinking how lot much longer do I have to sit here for this you know it, I could have easily just walked out it could have been one of those films where I could have, I, I may have just have turned it off after 40 minutes you know I do that sometimes with films I may just have t- turned it off because I was not engaged at all in fact the only point of it ironically that I was I was engaged was the last five minutes or so because the last scene of this film is actually probably out of a better movie and it actually suggests the idea that, that there is a film waiting to be made with Arnold Schwarzenegger as quite a badass vengeance seeking old man and it it, it it, it's just it crystallised to me that everything else I'd been watching for the for the previous hundred minutes I didn't give a shit about, but that final scene was actually fairly good, 
and fairly well executed. And I thought if the whole film had had this kind of style to it, it would have been much better. As it turned out, it didn't. And it was just thudding, thuddingly dull and dour. And even and when we get to the point where things begin to become clear about the story, because the, the idea is that there's this mystery at the centre of it about this DA team who, who go and try, seemingly a, a basically trying to rip off a cartel and cream off a bit of money. The money disappears and then there's a lot of suspicion as to who nicked the money and everything like that. But it takes forever to get to the point that you kind of already are going to guess is going to happen. And then when it does happen, it's not really very interesting. And I'm not quite sure why it all, what goes down the way it goes down anyway. I, it, it's just it's just rubbish. It is just rubbish. It, and, it, and it makes me sad to think that Arnie is now doing this kind of stuff. I don't know why. You know, it, it's, it, thank God he's doing Terminator is all I can say. I've got, I'm very sceptical about the next Terminator film. I don't know what it's going to be yet because we don't know enough. But it surely will be entertaining. And that's that's all you want from Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he can't act. He's he's old now. You just want him to be Arnie in a way. You just want him to, to enjoy it. And it didn't look like he was enjoying this. And and I believe me, I wasn't. It's definitely one of the worst films I've seen this year. And it's thankfully tanked hard in the US. It's It's really, really, really flopped. And quite honestly, good. Is this over? No. Okay, it's time now to run down this week's UK top 10 at the box office and see what's smoking and what's not. And it'll be interesting to see how things have changed from last week as we have a few new entries coming into the charts this time around. At number 10, a new entry in plastic, which has not exactly stormed the charts, let's put it that way, on the first week of release. It's made around £154,000 on quite a lot of cinemas, and it's not made a massive dent, realistically. It doesn't surprise me. The trailer looks awful. I haven't actually seen Plastic. I almost went last week. I just couldn't muster up the energy or the desire to go and see a film, which I'm almost certain is going to be bad. So... A plastic, I'll be surprised if that climbs. It might possibly, but I, I doubt it. I think that'll zip out of the top ten pretty swiftly. At number nine, going up a place, is Calvary. And it's great to see that Calvary's actually hanging on in there. It's actually still not done too bad business, and it's clearly word of mouth that's keeping Calvary up there. As I say, I still haven't seen Calvary. I've heard many great things. I'm looking forward to it eventually. But... It's nice to see Calvary slightly edging up. It'll probably disappear fairly soon, but it's nice to know that people are actually presumably hearing how good it is and seeking it out and going and seeing it, especially given a lot of the big cinemas aren't showing it. So that's really good. And number eight, down five places from number three, is Transcendence. And clearly Transcendence has just plummeted. It's not done very well at all at the box office, certainly considering it's got Johnny Depp in it. And normally Johnny Depp would be raking in a serious haul. It's done poor business. It's dropped massively in the second week clearly it's a combination of people going to see it thinking it's poor coming back and telling everybody else don't bother and all the negative press doesn't surprise me that transcendence has just collapsed on itself and to be honest it's justified because even though yeah there are people out there including most famously mark kermode defending transcendence and i do understand that defense it doesn't stop it being boring and leaden and just a waste of everyone's time so, bye-bye Transcendence, it wasn't fun. Number seven, down from six, is Noah. Noah's still in there. Noah's done decent 
business he's not done too badly still making a bit of money perhaps still riding a little bit of the slight controversy around it but Noah's bonkers but fun enough so it's fair play that it's done fairly well and it's still going on in there down a place at number 6 from number 5 is Captain America the Winter Soldier which again continues to hold firm in the centre of the chart that's not really going anywhere it's still showing it's been nearly 2 months now Captain America's been on and it's made a lot of money and it's still making quite a bit of money and as I've said before great because Captain America is loads of fun so I'm really glad that's doing well and continues to do well down a place from number 4 to number 5 is Rio 2 again which has done very well again it's one for the kids haven't seen it but it's done extremely well riding the crest of kids holidays and things like that so people are still going in to see it and I can't really comment on how good it is or bad it is but it's still in there number four first of two new entries is Tarzan which has coming at number four and Tarzan this is the uh, I haven't seen this yet but this is an animated version of the Tarzan story we're getting a live action one I think it's either later this year or next year but this is an animated one featuring several voices and I've heard it's fairly decent it's not like rivaling Pixar or anything like that but it's not done too bad coming in at number four really um, to get out there Again, one for the kids, perhaps a bit more. But the story of Tarzan's always a good one anyway. So, yeah, that's at number four. And number three, which I'm surprised it didn't actually get in slightly higher, is Pompeii, which has come in at number three and has done relatively good business for its first weekend. And, you know, Pompeii could well sink, possibly, after this. I don't know. But Pompeii actually deserves to have a decent run because it's actually fairly good. You know, it's it's rubbish. It's complete rubbish. It's it's trash, but it's fun trash, and it, it's knowingly daft, and it knows how stupid it is, and it's got a really brilliantly over the top, awful performance by Kiefer Sutherland that is so worth watching. It's just it's just a laugh. Pompeii is just a laugh, and you know, I'm, I'm I hope it stays around, and I hope people do go and see it because it's definitely Paul W S Anderson's best film since Event Horizon. I would I would probably stake a claim to that. Yeah, Pompeii's in at number three. Still holding firm at number two is The Other Woman, which has done quite well. And that's just a depressing thing to say, because The Other Woman is garbage. Absolute garbage. And it's it completely does a disservice to chick flicks. Uh, it, it's insulting to women. It's vacuous, vapid, just blech, vomit. So, yeah, I just despair that people have not realised this and keep going and paying hard-earned money to go and watch Bilge. Number one, still at number one, has been number one, is The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which has done very well. It's actually outperformed Captain America, even though it's been on three weeks less. And it's it's no surprise. Spider-Man 2 was always going to do well. Spider-Man is a huge character. It's still one. It's one for the kids and for the adults. And, you know, it's it's all right. It's all right. It's get, it's, I've started to sense more people... You know, at first there was quite a rush of, oh, this is awesome. And then a lot of people have sort of sit, sat down and gone, hang on a minute. I'm going to either see it again or I'll think it through and go, yeah, no. Or you're getting now a lot of people go the other way and saying it's rubbish. It's not rubbish. It's, it's not rubbish. There are far worse films out there. It's not Spider-Man 3. Okay? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it really isn't. It's... It's not great. It's average. It's just average. And that, that's the saddest thing to say. It is an average superhero blockbuster. Nothing more than that. And it's, it's just a shame, really. It is a shame. It's not terrible, but it's not good. It's nothing to talk about. And that's the problem. But it'll still be probably be number one. Well, it, it may be number one next weekend. The thing with this this week, it's an illusion. This whole box office, the top of this box office, is a big illusion. Because really, number one probably already, or will be number one soon, is Bad Neighbours. Or just Neighbours if you're in America. Because Bad Neighbours has this nine-day opening weekend. So that means that all the figures from last weekend, which is, which is this, haven't factored in Bad, bad Neighbours yet. So you shouldn't, Bad Neighbours will probably go in at number one because it's factoring in technically two weekends and a f- and the full week in order to count as the box office for one weekend which makes no sense i don't know why that they're doing that but bad neighbors as a result is going to make hand over fist when it wouldn't have done as well otherwise or it wouldn't have gone in probably at number one it would probably been two or three but it, expect bad neighbors if not, if it's not number one it'll be number two next week i'd put money on that so and but i'm okay with that because i enjoyed i enjoyed bad neighbors you know it, it was it was perfectly decent comedy it was, it was pretty funny so I've, I don't begrudge it doing pretty well. I do. I am. I am sad that Blue Ruin hasn't made a dent. Blue Ruin maybe hasn't been found everywhere, and it's it's a shame. There's there's now there's now two films in my in my top six, let's say, of the year, Blue Ruin and The Raid Two, which haven't dented the box office at all. Which is a real shame because they're they're films that a lot of people aren't seeing and they're genuinely good. Blue Ruin is fan, is a fantastic little film, so it's a real shame that people aren't actually going and seeing that very much so if you do get a chance to see Blue Ruin I recommend that even though it's not in the top 10 and we'll see how it looks very soon there's the two big gigantic blockbusters looming on the horizon which are going to change this picture in, in a couple of weeks so we'll see how things are next week let's see if I put my money on Bad Neighbours being top of the tree okay welcome back everybody it's time for the most fun part of the podcast in which I get on a friend and they talk about their favourite movie. It's not their favourite movie of all time, their favourite movie of now, certainly. And uh, I am extremely delighted to have sitting next to me, in my uh, personal abode, one of my best friends of all time, uh, it's Mr Adam Massingham. Hello. 
Hello, Adam. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Good, good, good. All the way from Wickham today. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a little, little whistle stop tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on tour. Don't yeah, tour. he's on tour. on tour. He's always on tour. Doesn't know where he's going, but he's <laughs> he's on tour. And in fact, that neatly leads into uh, the film that Adam has chosen to talk about. Which, and he's very happy because he's just given me a little, uh, well done for that segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The film he's chosen to talk about today, which is... Metal, A Headbanger's Journey. Metal, A Headbanger's Journey. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Okay. Then? Basically, Metal, A Headbanger's Journey came out in 2005, and it's um, a documentary created by a metal fan and a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Dunn. <laughs> I'm not sure where I was going to get that word right, and you did. He, he uh, yeah. So obviously that involves him like studying cultures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, and he's a massive metal fan, and has been since he was about twelve. So, and he's he at the time he was in his mid twenties. So, and his big thing is he's been a lifelong metal fan. And he wants to know why metal is such a divisive subject between people. People either love it and or they hate it they just don't understand it so he sets out on his journey around the world to find out basically what is what people think about metal why they love it i think it is quite important to, to just clarify at this point when we say metal we don't mean the hard substance that people oh, use yeah. to build things we do mean yes. <laughs> we're actually talking about heavy metal music yes yes um yeah someone going around um talking about like steel, steel like, uh, and cor- things like that, yeah. Building bridges. Yeah, and... I'm sure there is a niche market mm. for that. But he was actually <laughs> being a lifelong fan of metal, the music, since yeah. he was 12. Yeah. So he's gone on this journey, he's talking to bands, he's talking to fans all about, basically, he's almost like promoting metal. Mm. So you could go into this documentary not knowing much about metal, not even liking metal, and just, just to get uh, a good understanding about it. So he talks to people like Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, all about the origins of metal, Ronnie James Dio, all about what metal means to him, and various other people from bands such as uh, Rob Zombie. Yeah, they're just basically talking about why they love it, how they got started in metal, and you know why they continue to make it to this day. So what what conclusions does he does he? draw without giving too much away then ultimately well from talking to he talks about things like the roles of religion in metal uh, and the occult and talks even talking to everyday fans um, and it seems that for the fans point of view maybe some of them were kind of maybe alone a loner or they were going through struggles in their life and so they really identified with a lot of the lyrics as well as loving the music, um, a lot of the lyrics that feel it could take them away, like a lot of fantasy spell lyrics like Iron Maiden, bands like that talk about, mm. um, through to more personal things like religion, sexuality, etc. So people could really identify with what bands were saying. And I think it, the music as well, um, if you like metal, uh, like me, you find it quite empowering and quite powerful and something you can really relate to. So combining all the imagery and the lyrics, I think people... That's why people love it so much, and I also think that's why certain people identify with it. Mm. A lot of people are more, especially these days, with I don't know the, the kind of like tabloid media wanting wanting to listen to like the most soulless, rubbishy crap like One Direction and things like that. If you're a One Direction fan listening to this, stop. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apologies to One Direction fans, but it's just like soulless rubbish. See, so, yeah, I, I, I was leading them to a point where they thought they were going to get an apology there, and I, I, I didn't give them one because <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, <laughs> well, not just. I mean, you know, nothing against One Direction personally. Um, just the kind of music that's kind of yeah. uh, fed to you through the mass media. They want you to listen to things like these music that's on X Factor, etc. Yeah. Where, like with metal music, it's it's a lot deeper. Um, lot me- a lot more meaningful to people, and um, and it's more of a lifestyle. Like people will be into certain pop bands for like, you know, uh, six months a year, you know, and then they go they go from like say, um, to quote the example just now from from JLS to One Direction, mm. you know, who are both on X Factor. Where with metal, people get into it, you know, and they will to quote Rob Zombies actually, you never meet someone who is like, oh, I was into Slayer for one summer. You know, people into Slayer for life. Once yeah. they're into Slayer, they're into Slayer, made in Metallica. And that's mainly what it's about, just to discover the heritage of it and why people feel so strongly about it. Um, and it goes off into the different genres as well, like thrash metal, hard rock, soft rock, shock rock. He even goes to Norway to talk about the controversial black metal scene there from the early 90s, um, where there was various church burnings and other, other such things. So that's very interesting to get not just musicians point of view um, but also the fans of the scene whether they agree or disagree with it so it's also like a, a thought-provoking documentary as well it's easily something you would see the likes of um bbc4 bbc2 showing mm. and um, as a as a thought-provoking documentary well this is something that's very personal for you really isn't it because you're yeah, of all my friends, you're the person who loves metal the most, and you always have been. Yeah. And, you know, you regularly introduce me to music and talk to me about some of the stuff you've been to see, and you're a big gig guy, and, you know, you've got a huge music collection, and, a, and a, a quite a, a strong music knowledge base, really. And, I mean, you could probably host your own music podcast, to be quite honest. Oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I think you could quite easily do it, because you've got a real knowledge. So this, this kind of film really would strike that personal chord with you, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's why why I love it so much. I mean, I've, I've watched it two or three times now, and um, I think if you're... You could be... A, a, if you're a big fan of any music, because it also talks about the roots of the genre, so you're, talk, you're looking at um, blues and uh, rock and roll, maybe, and things like that. Which so, is my which is my main yeah. love, isn't it? Yeah, so, so they yeah. start talking about... They go back and talk about the, the blues roots... So you're looking at people right from the 30s, like Robert Johnson, mm. through to like the likes of B.B. King. And then they talk about sort of like the late 60s era when it started. So you have bands like Cream and, mm. and, and Jimi Hendrix Experience, mm. who started to have a blues bass, but then also experiment and just become, um, whether they liked it or not, heavier, just naturally become heavier. And then that led to Black Sabbath coming along, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. Um, and all these all these bands and guys that invented what would become known as heavy metal. Mm. So um, yeah, that's why I think you could be you could be a fan of pretty much any genre. I think if you're a music lover in general, I just recommend the film. Well, it's fascinating because it's I'm, I'm looking at the um, uh, the Wikipedia page for it now, and it's it goes through the the different subgenres that the film covers, and yeah. just just to go through them. You've start. You've mentioned early metals, things like Cream, Jimi Hendrix, through to the original hard rock. You know, um, like Thin Lizzy, Blue Oyster Cult, and then shock rock, as you've mentioned, like Alice yeah. Cooper, uh, New York Dolls, and early punk, the Ramones, 
The Damned, Power Metal, yeah. things like Judas Priest, Man of War, uh, New Wave of British Heavy Metal, so Motorhead, Saxon, Iron Maiden, Progressive Metal, uh, Uriah Heep, you know, Rush, Glam Metal, Slade, yeah. um, Pop Metal, like Van Halen, White Snake, Doom Metal, like Witchfinder General, Candlemass, Original Hardcore, Agnostic Front, DOA, Dead Kennedys, Thrash Metal, so Your Boys, Metallica, yeah, which is your favourite band in the world, um, Slayer, Anthrax, First Wave of Black Metal, so Bathory, Celtic Frost, Norwegian Black Metal, which you mentioned, so things like Dark Throne, Gorgoroth, <laughs> Satyricon, the name say it all really. yeah, all uh, brilliant, Grindcore, so Napalm Death, Carcass, Repulsion, um, <laughs> cephal- Cephalic Carnage, Death Metal, so Morbid Angel, Cannibal Corpse, Immolation, Dying Fetus. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, some of the names, and I, I think um, another thing they, they talk about the, the death metal thing because it goes into mm. um, censorship yeah. as well in, in metal. And um, the, the great thing about it all is, as well, there isn't just interviews with musicians and fans. There's a few um, actual musicologists in there, mm. um, people who study music and, and behaviour and, and things like that. And um, there's one scene where he shows this uh, this one woman who's. who's some PhD in, in, in behaviour or something like yeah. sociology and she's she's shocked by this uh, cannibal corpse cover called um, The Wretched Spawn and oh it's just basically got someone on the cover with their guts splitting open with a shark's head coming out oh. and various things it's just all got like cartoonish pictures yeah but it's all at the same time it's very accurate as well but at the same time she was saying how it kind of how it's going to have a how could anyone like that it's going to have a negative effect on, on society but then they interviewed the guitarist on Cannibal Corpse mm. and he's saying well look at our covers no no it's actually real yeah you're not going to have a monster coming out of a human person anytime soon so um, not out of sci-fi yeah. films unless you're in that yeah so <laughs> it's a lot of it is just a bit of a, a, a media thing they just feel making things yeah. to be worse than they are mm. I think anyone with any common sense will know that a shark's head isn't going to come flying <laughs> out of some, some bloke's guts anytime soon. Well, it's the whole um, thing, like, you know, people's reactions to violent video games and things like that, yeah. isn't it? You know, like your Grand Theft Autos and whatnot. You know, it's only it's only stupid people who would pick up a baseball bat and go and beat up a pensioner in the street after they've played that. Exactly. You know, it, it, these things, you know, they don't have an effect on most people. They Most people understand that a lot of it is allegory or it's metaphor or it's it's a it's a, a piece of artwork or it's it's... An indulgence. People know that, don't they? Yeah. Right. You know, and they know that that the music's very similar in that sense. It doesn't mean that people are going to go out and start hacking people up and burning people alive and you know yeah, exactly. eating people in pots and God knows what. You <laughs> exactly. know. Exactly. I think um, one of the uh, things that um, probably possibly misinterpreted about um, metal and the fans mm. are how intelligent a lot of uh, bands and fans are. You, you read the lyrics. The band, one of the bands in the black metal scene, who started in the Norwegian black metal scene in Slade, mm. they sing about Viking mythology. Yeah, and that's very deep. You know, it goes very deep. And um, some of the black metal bands, even though to be honest, it's not a screening, so you can't really under- in Norwegian, <laughs> so you can't really understand what they're saying. Yeah. But if you look in the lyric sheets, a lot of it is about religion, etc. Why they mm. reject Christianity and, and things like that. Um, Cannibal Corpse and Carcass talk about, you know kind of autopsies and they go into yeah. great medical detail using very very um long words to describe you know how yeah like i say various autopsies etc so um they're not there's a lot of research and, and things mm. like that that go into it you know i've had i've had many uh, intelligent 
I've based conversation with, with many metal fans, you know, and um, I think it's it's very misinterpreted that metal fans are just a lot of them are uh, maybe a bit silly, a bit stupid, mm. or um, you know, or violent maybe, or violent, yeah. Like there was um, a whole piece on the film about metal fans and bands being, you know, they're blamed for various murders, like the Columbine High School massacre yeah. back in the early two was it two thousand. Yeah, yeah, ninety nine or something. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know the the band happened to be fans of Marilyn Manson, mm. so you know obviously it must have been, you know, the fact that they listened to mm. Marilyn Manson was the reason they went out and mm. killed them, not not because they're actually mental or that parenting skills or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, same things happen with uh, Slayer. They were in court because um, you know, um, a fan of theirs like murdered someone or something. Mm. So obviously it was their lyrics and their music that did it. Same with Slipknot. Same with uh, Judas Priest. Ozzy Osbourne got blamed for um, I think someone's suicide because yeah. um, of his song Suicide Solution. Obviously all these things got thrown out of court because they are just ridiculous. Yeah. But at the same time it just this is how the media reacts. As soon as they find out that these people that have committed murders or whatever listen to metal, yeah, they blame metal. If if they if these guys listen to, I don't know, take that, that probably wouldn't even get mentioned. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah, yeah. But because they yeah. listen to Marilyn Manson, listen to Slipknot, you know, Judas Priest, etc. They're easy scapegoats, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're e- they're easy people to blame because of because it's easy to understand. Exactly. You know, it's the whole thing of oh. They must have done this because they've listened to Judas Priest talking about this. When the truth is, exactly. life is just isn't that simple, and no. and the the human mind isn't that simple, you know. Yeah, exactly. A lot, a lot of um, they just read the lyrics and think, oh, this is what it must be. Mm, mm. You know, there was a great piece. One of my favourite parts in the whole film is um, where Dee Snider from um, the band Twisted Sister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a great name. Yeah, brilliant um, name. He's very, um, very quite flamboyant. In, in on stage, he's like got big curly blonde hair mm. when he's in with the band he's wearing a lot of makeup he's wearing like lingerie and uh, <laughs> stage and um, you know it looks pretty ridiculous mm. but he got asked to represent metal in front of the tipper gore who was trying to um, basically censor metal maybe even ban metal and what happened there was they they came at him with all these things about why metal should be censored and why it should be banned. And um, basically he read out a whole a whole list of things about lyrics and, you know, how they're easily misinterpreted. And uh, he, re- he has a song, Twisted has a song called Under the Blade. And uh, Tipper Gore was like, well, you know, this song is clearly about sex and, and sadomasochism, etc., um, but Under the Blade is actually about one of the band members undergoing uh, operation, I think, on his throat. I think maybe for cancer or something. Like that. Mm. I'm not exactly sure, but he was. It's basically about an operation that a band member had. Yeah. Um, very big operation. And basically, his argument was, well, you went into the song looking for sadomasochism and sex and whips and chains, and that's what you got. Yeah. You go into the song looking for oh, this is about a friend's operation. Yeah. You yeah. can get that as well. Yeah. So I think metal is very misinterpreted and. You know, I think for fans, it's frustrating because they love the lyrics and they like to read the lyrics and get mm. into the lyrics and buy the whole thing into the band where you've got, with the outside point of view, I suppose I can understand why it might be easy for certain people to be like, oh, you know, that's that's disgusting, those lyrics are disgusting from the outside. But maybe that's, that's why it's looked upon, maybe frowned upon 
and some some's out there. So do you think this film goes some way to addressing those misconceptions and and clearing some of that up and making it a bit easier for people to see the that it's not as simple. Oh, definitely, definitely, because I think because you're talk, you're talking to really well known musicians who you know explain, and not only that, the, the people they talk to, like Ronnie James Dio, mm. Tony Iommi, um, Dee Snider, Rob Zombie, they're all they all come across as really nice, really friendly guys. They're happy to talk to uh, Sam Dunn. That's that's the man who made the yeah. um, documentary. They're really happy to speak to him and discuss mm. their views. So obviously that's something that they felt in the past. Mm. So they're happy to just sit there and, and discuss what they think. So, you know, if you sit through the documentary and watch it, then it definitely goes some way into kind of explaining why it's become like such a massive thing. It's like a phenomenon all over the world. And yeah, if you don't understand it, then I'd, I'd definitely recommend watching this documentary. So is that so? Finally, then, what would you? What would the biggest piece of advice for somebody who? You know, you recommend say what what film shall I watch? And you say watch metal. You know, Headbangers Journey. What what's the one reason above all? Do you think they should go and watch this? I don't know. I think it goes back to what I was saying about just being a music fan. You know, and if if you're if you're looking at metal fans and you're wondering if you have no idea what, why they like metal so much, you know, and you, you 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 just don't understand it, then I'd say just just give it a go. So if, if you're a metal fan like I am, you'd love it. Mm. But even, even if you're you're curious about metal, I'd say just watch it as well. It's just a really really well made documentary. Um, and yeah, just, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. There you go. Just do it. That's yeah. and he's not even working for Nike as well, which is <laughs> no, most no. most impressive. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna check it out because I'm I'm not the biggest metal fan in the world. I like certain elements of the rock involved, but it'll. It educate me, I think, about stuff that I don't know, and I certainly like a lot of the kind of things it's talking about. So I'm going to go and look look at it. You can't get more of a recommendation from from anyone than that. So thanks a lot, Adam. That's brilliant. Ah, uh, cool. That's no, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. All right, welcome back, guys. I'm going to cheat a little bit now, like I said earlier, and talk about some television that I've been watching this week because I've been keeping abreast of the pickups and cancellations in US TV and this is the see, this is the time of the year when all the networks in America decide whether or not they're going to renew or cancel their shows. It's also been quite a big week in terms of having a massive premiere of the return of 24 with 24 Live Another Day this 12 episode event series as they're calling it so half of what a previous 24 season would be. And it's fair to say it's so good to have Jack Bauer back. Jack Bauer is a traitor and a psychopath who killed two Russian diplomats. Hands behind your head, on your knees. I know how many lives you've saved, how much the country is in your debt, but they're just going to see a man who snapped. Killing and mutilating with no regard to the law or conscience. A man whose country now labels him a criminal, a terrorist. After all these years, he surfaces in London the same time as President Heller. We've considered that he is here to do the president harm. There's an order coming to have you transferred to Special Activities Division for enhanced interrogation. You better than anyone know what they're going to do to you down there. Take me to it now. So let, let's, let me talk a little bit about 24 first, because 24 was obviously one of the best well-known TV series of the last... 10 years or more now came around just after 9-11 
and struck a chord with a lot of people. And it, it, with, with the real-time format of 24 episodes across 24 hours, which had never been done before. And and it, originally, it was supposed to be a different idea, apparently, every every day. You know, they were going to do multiple seasons, but the first season was going to be about a terrorist threat, and the next season was maybe going to be more of a, a family drama or something like that. And then in, in the end, when they when they cast Kiefer Sutherland as Jack Bauer... And by the end of season one, Jack Barrow had kind of outgrown the show in a way. He'd kind of become the show. They realised that, you know, they had to they had to bring Kiefer and Jack Bauer and back and keep the real time terrorist action format, which was was, to- was totally the right call. Totally the right call. And twenty twenty four started with a, with a, a first season that was a bit scattershot and had this, this really good central story, but it was filtered with a lot of family stuff that didn't go anywhere and it, it, it was trying at times but it built up to one of the greatest twist surprise endings ever and people really saw what it could do with it and then uh, over the next few seasons it, it got increasingly bigger you know I mean it, it really escalated Jack Bauer became increasingly more of a tortured anti-hero to an extent you know he, he was he was a decent man but he was you know really really intense and tough and of course he started to really develop all these catchphrases the principal one being damn it you know which he'd shout at various intervals god damn it Chloe you know uh, or while he was torturing people and things like that and it did get increasingly mental really did to the point I think when people were starting to say has 24 jumped the shark which I think it was season 6 where firstly his entire family turned out to be uber villains even though it was great to see James Cromwell playing his dad as as a complete nasty piece of shit but it also set they set off a nuclear bomb in LA in like episode four, and everyone was like, "Oh no, what?" <laughs> Everyone's like, you, "You can't do that, twenty four And immediately after that, then they, I remember that they scaled it back for season seven, and they did this inter intercool movie, you know, where they they basically sent Jack off, and it was more of a stripped down idea. And eventually, season seven got as bonkers as as everything else. But the idea was to strip it back a bit and to make it a bit more, you know, lean and mean. And season seven, as a result, was really good. And it was one of the best best seasons in years, but it, it ended a little bit on a damp squib because the the final season, season eight, lost all that again. It, it went back to being ridiculously overblown and, and stupid, and it really wa- trod water for a lot of it. And it didn't. It had moments, and it's, it actually does have one of the best ever Jack Bauer moments, where he basically storms a convoy of cars in complete bud like meta- metallic suit armor. And just scares the living daylights out of everybody because he's got these like twin shotguns. It is amazing. But chiefly, it ended on a cliffhanger, which everyone was was going. You've ended a show that's been on the air for nearly ten years, ten seasons almost, eight seasons, and you've ended this on a cliffhanger. And they did it mainly because the producers Howard Gordon and Evan Katz and Manny Cotto, they wanted to do a movie. The idea was to lead this into a film because they knew that the, the show was running down, r- running its course, and they couldn't sustain this. And that maybe the, I think the ratings were possibly dropping and things like that. And they knew that they were they were they were running out of steam with it. But they said we can we can turn it into a movie. And and the everyone for ages after that was waiting for the twenty four movie. There were writers attached. There were scripts flying about. There were potential directors. I remember at one point before he died, I think Tony Scott was in the running to direct a twenty four film, which would have been fantastic actually. He would have done that so well. But it didn't come off for whatever reason. Kiefer Sutherland was doing a TV show, which which didn't last very long. And I think Howard Gordon went off to do Homeland as well. And they, it kind of all didn't really come together. And I think for a long time, people were thinking that was the last we'd see of 
of Jack Bauer, which was which didn't feel right because it, it ended, like I say, it ended on this cliffhanger where it was very much open end, a bit like the X Files, which is why the X Files is still a bone of contention because when they did bring it back, they didn't adequately resolve the cliffhanger, which is let me just say something. Twenty Four is doing very well, but everyone was waiting for this movie and the idea of actually taking this 24 hour real time format and doing it as a film would have been really interesting because over two hours you could basically strip that back and leap forward quite significantly over the course of one day and I know I was still very interested and and remain interested to see how that would work I don't know if we'll ever get that movie now because by the by the look of it they're going to continue this on television certainly by the fact that within a year everyone everyone's screaming saying we want Jack Bauer back Within about a year or two, they decided to do a, a, a mini-series. And that gave birth to Live Another Day, which is the new limited-run 12-hour show, which one of the big criticisms of 24, and something that I, I felt myself with a lot of it, was that over 24 episodes, because 24 episodes of television is a lot, and that's why nowadays we've gone back, it's gone to a cable model where people do 10, 12, 15 episodes a season, and it means that they can cut a lot of the fat and one of the criticisms was of 24 was the fact that over the course of that whole day, there were lots and lots of subplots and characters that really dragged. And, you know, as mentioned before, Jack's family was often one of them. His daughter, Kim, Elisha Cuthbert, famously, you know, getting chased by a cougar in the middle of the wilderness. It was just everyone was going, what the hell is this going to do with anything, you know? And it did. It felt a, a lot of that with 24 sometimes. It really did feel that. And the writers, it used to really, it used to annoy them. They said when we got to about episode 16, 17, we, we'd run out of story, to be honest. And that, that was always at the point of the, of the series when they, they'd whack a big twist in or they, they'd turn, and everyone would go, hang on a minute. And it really often felt like they'd, they'd, they'd done the climax of the story like three or four episodes early. So with this, the whole point of this 12, 12 episode model was to basically be able to say, look, we've got a, a story that we don't have to tell over 24 episodes now. We can do this story in 12 lean, mean, punchy episodes with no fat, with no bloated plot. We can just get in there and tell this. And from from the first two episodes, which aired over here on Wednesday, I think it was Monday in, um, or Tuesday in America, they've done that very well, actually. And they've they've managed to immediately get into the, the cliffhanger, resolving the cliffhanger very well. Without spoiling too much, season eight ends with Jack Bauer being framed and having to take the fall for a big... I can't quite remember exactly what it is, but it's something to do with international like, relations with the Chinese. And he, he basically becomes a, a traitor, effectively. Even though he didn't do it, he has to go on the run to, for the greater good in the end. And Jack basically leaves on the run. And, and Chloe O'Brien, who's his, his loyal kind of helper in, in CTU, she, she shuts down the satellite feed that, that helps him get away. And that's where it ends, you know. And this picks up on him, and he's in London. And the, the, the great thing about Living Another Day is that it's set in London, which, which is brilliant, because that, that really completely changes the texture of the show. I remember, actually, when, when season eight finished, and I, I was writing, you know, as, as, I, as I've talked about earlier, scripts and things like that, I immediately wanted to do a season nine of 24. I really wanted to write my own. And, I, and one of the things I said was that I would put Jack in the middle of Europe, I'd put him on the run, getting involved in an international politics case where he has to basically claw back his, his reputation. And that's basically what they've done, you know. And they've set it in London. There's also a rumour that they filmed in Paris. So there's every possibility that, that the, the climax of this series will be in Paris, or part of it will be, which would be great. Because you could totally get... It's very, very reasonable to get from London to Paris in the course of, of, of a day. And, and, and also, the great thing about this is they can jump ahead. This is set over one day, but it's not going to be all set 
concurrently. So they will they will be able to do maybe three or four episodes that are, are from say I think it started at eleven o'clock in the morning. So say if they do three or four episodes, it will finish roughly about two three o'clock in the afternoon. They can then conceivably skip four hours. And the next episode could jump to six o'clock, and by which time they could have moved things along. They could have put Jack in Paris, for instance, and have him there. And that's the beauty of this because they can skip, so they don't have to hold so true to this formula. And right now, it's come out the gates really well in terms of resolving the cliffhanger and resolving why Jack's in London. And it's got this brilliant idea that he doesn't speak for like the, most of the first episode, and he's just this silent badass. And it works so well. In fact, the writers I read an interview, and the writers did say that they they toyed with scripts and 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 things where he was talking he was responding to these people and who were interrogating him basically and he doesn't and, and they said it was rubbish it's far better if he doesn't say anything Keeper Sutherland's just badass the story's very interesting it's got that mix of high tier politics with the president and stuff going on with his cabinet which is always something that was in 24 and it was always a staple of that you, you don't know quite who to trust there's a whole new group of, of government agents who are now chasing Jack and they've got it's like another CTU outfit, but in in London it's just not called CTU, but it's the same thing in London. And it's this myriad of characters, and it, it's it's just twenty four as it was. They haven't tried to reinvent the wheel. They haven't tried to do it differently. They haven't tried to, you know, update it that or anything. They've just given us what we wanted, which is the show we loved for all its pulpy, over the top stupidness. And that is that is the thing. Twenty four is bonkers. It always has been mad as a box of frogs but it's also been incredibly entertaining and it's one of those shows that it's 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 the defining i'll just watch another one show you know if it's they're all on like netflix now and if you start I, i'm tempted to start watching them again actually although i don't think i'd ever have any time left to watch any films <laughs> but i know because i know i'd be there going right i'll just watch another one i'll just watch another one i'll just watch another one and that's the beauty of 24 even more than everything else it was you could not you can't put it down when you've got them all there and this this will be similar. It's why it's, it's going to be difficult for me to to watch once a week because I, I'm I'm not I can't do that with Game of Thrones. I have to I have to save up episodes of Game of Thrones, which I'm doing right now. I've watched the first few episodes of season four, but I'm saving the rest to watch later because I can't watch Game of Thrones once a week. It would drive me mad. I I, I would go mental. But with twenty four, it's going to be difficult as well because especially when it really starts to get into the cliffhangers and the stories and everything, it's going to be very very hard to wait a week. And I really, really have got high hopes for this for this series. And I hope that it's it remains as good as the first two episodes. And I hope that they consider doing more. Because I think it's going to be a hit. It's already seemed to have done very well. It's got good word of mouth already. I think there'll be a lot of people still clamouring for more Jack Bauer. Because Keeper Sutherland, he's only 48. He, st- he could still get away with this for a fair few years yet. They could, they could do one series a year or one series every couple of years. And it'd be great. I hope they do. Because if we don't get the 24 movie, this is, this is as good, if not a better compromise. But it leads me on to, to talking about this kind of renaissance with television. And we, we've, I've discussed this before in, in podcasts, chiefly with um, Matt Latham in, in one we did a few months ago. And I'm sure it'll come up again. But the whole idea of how, how television is becoming more cinematic now. And Game of Thrones is, is, a, is a really good example of, of this. In that it, it is like watching a film unfold. But it's just been split up into ten chunks. You know, it's got the budget of that. It's just, it's just a step up, really, from the traditional TV model that we'd have seen years ago. And what they're doing now, obviously, is as well, with the success of a lot of these shows, they're tying in film franchises into television. And there's been quite a lot of that this week with either things that have been picked up or, or, or dropped. The big, the big one that people have been talking about this week is, of course, Marvel, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has, has got a second season. And I, last time we talked about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on this podcast, me and, and, and Matt were talking about where, where it's gone wrong. I still haven't seen it. 
and I, and I, I was waiting for two things. One, I was waiting for hopefully the quality to go up, which apparently it has. And I was waiting for it to get a second season because I don't want to start something, fall in love with it, and then have it cancelled on me. I'm wary of that now, which is why I, I always tend to wait a few years to, to start watching a show so I can, I'll know that I've got the, a good chance of the story being told. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. apparently has improved and it's, it's found its sea legs and it's got much better as the season has gone on. So there's, there's high hopes maybe that season two will be a lot better and it'll come out the traps and it could last now because if, if it keeps doing better in terms of story and obviously the Marvel films keep, keep being a success, which they will, then there's a good chance it could run for a few years, which would be great, especially given they've just commissioned Agent Carter as well, which is the, the spin-off from Captain America the First Avenger featuring Hayley Atwell as, as Peggy Carter from that film. And they've been talking about this for a while now because there was a one-shot Marvel short film and it was, it was featuring Hayley Atwell in the 40s after the events of the First Avenger and basically this hybrid of alias and, like, a 40s war movie and all, all this kind of thing. And it, it, just, it just sounds brilliant. And it's so nice to hear that they've picked Agent Carter up as this mid-season bridge between, if not, well, not bridge, but fill, space filler between seasons one and two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it won't be a massively long-running thing, but it doesn't need to be. It can be a nice, compact little series. Hayley Atwell is wonderful anyway. She's, she, I could watch her in anything, Hayley Atwell. And she's brilliant as Peggy Carter. She was one of the best things in that film. And there's been a lot of talk lately about strong female roles on television and film. And I, I, I myself got into a debate with certain friends on online about the, the whole Star Wars debacle of the fact there's only two women in it. And I was defending that, that, that decision, actually. That it's, you, know, you don't necessarily need to create characters that are female just because women deserve representation. It's not a, if, for me, it's not about that. Of course women do. Of course women deserve to have strong female characters and arguably that there is more of that needed but i would rather them create something not for the sake of oh we need to put a woman in there because oh women are important too we know women are important women are more important than men half the time they're the ones who get things done it's it's not about that it's about the character the character should come first the story should come first it doesn't matter in star wars if they're not there's not too many women in there it doesn't matter if the story serves it it's fine with something like agent carter it's different. Agent Carter's a great example of a strong female role with a great actress that will hopefully be really successful and potentially really great show with a strong female lead. It's why they could do similar with, with um, Black Widow and Scarlett Johansson. And whether they will or not, who knows? But let's hope so. But it, it's, it's the whole thing of it, the character it should come first. It's, it's, it's just great to see. This, this is a good example of, of, of where it's, it's good, it's great, and it works. So I'm really hopeful for Agent Carter, and I think that I think that that's another good example of film and television sort of coming together and colliding in certain aspects. So I'm I'm really 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 hopeful for that. But it's also been uh, interesting week on the DC side of things because DC are all, all, all also putting their toe in the water. They've they've because because of the success of Arrow, which obviously took Green Arrow from the comics, who has never I've never been made into a film as far as I'm aware, or not not a big blockbuster. And Arrow, the last two seasons of Arrow have just took people by storm. I haven't watched Arrow yet, I intend to, because I know that's going to be around for a while, because it's doing so well and it's so critically lauded. But they've, they've spun the Flash off from Arrow, and the Flash has now been given a series, which is great, you know, and, and hopefully this will continue on. So that'll be interesting. It's not connected to the same DC verse, but they've also greenlit Gotham, which is the big one, which is the big new hitter coming in the, in the fall, which is about 
Gotham City before Batman became Batman. He's got a young Bruce Wayne in it as a little child getting over the death of his parents. And it's got the main character is a young Jim Gordon investigating the Wayne's murder and a lot of the interpolitics of Batman, of the Batman universe, and all the origin stories of the villains. So, you know, the Penguin is in it, Catwoman. Um, there's talk of the Joker cropping up at some point. And I read this really interesting interview with Bruno Heller, the guy who's uh, showrunning Gotham, in which he talked about how he wants to visually create a Gotham that's a bit more striking than the Gotham we saw in the Christopher Nolan movies which was more muted and everything like that and it's it's they're taking a cue from 70s cop shows and uh, cop films and things like that which is fantastic so the aesthetic that Gotham could go for could really work well and it's just another example of a cinematic world spawned obviously from comics though as well mainly but taking a world that's become far more cinematically known and making it small scale so it's it's great that they're that they're bringing all these properties onto the small screen scott constantine is another one and the constantine film with keanu reeves was awful so constantine deserves another go around and it was also great to hear that hannibal has been given a third season hannibal i've watched the pilot of and i was immensely impressed and the reason i stopped watching hannibal was not because i didn't like it, it was because again i did not want to get my heart broken and see because i know i will fall in love with hannibal i am almost certain i really loved the pilot I can't bear to not have that story finished. So the fact they've got a third season means that they will at least hopefully get that and they will have enough ch- time to know if they're going to have only a third season so they can include the story. But it's great that that has, has taken off and done so well and is extending a really great cinematic character, obviously, again, from, from literature, and doing that with it. So it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting time for television. There's some really exciting projects out there that are linked to film franchises and, and all kinds of things like that and have more of that cinematic quality to them that are that means that they are worthy of sitting alongside a lot of the celluloid that we look at so for starters watch 24 if you're not because even though even though it's not a movie it's it's as good as and keep your eye on all these new american tv shows coming up because i think we're going to get some gold why are you doing this jack some fantasy if you stop the attack all will be forgiven there's no going back for me Trigger an alarm and I'll blow your head off. Okay, that brings us to the end of another Black Hole Cinema for another week. A bit longer than I anticipated. I did say earlier that I thought this episode might be a bit shorter, but as it turns out, it's only fractionally shorter than the week before. So if you were hoping for something more around the hour mark, I apologise. I will try and shut up a bit more in future. Again, as ever, let me know what you think about the show, if you think it should be shorter, if you think it should be longer. If you think there are things I should be doing, I shan't be doing, or I should add, or I should take away, please let me know. Feel free to tweet at Black Hole Cinema, or you can get me directly on Tony underscore O underscore Black, and let me know what you think of the show. Always welcome to talk. Also on Facebook, if you just type in Black Hole Cinema, we have a page there. Feel free to comment if you're on FB. Things are going quite well right now. Thank you to everyone who is still listening. It's hugely appreciated. We're still getting a steady amount of downloads. Please promote the show if you uh, if you know anyone who might be interested in it. If you're interested in coming on the show, drop me a message and come on and talk about your favourite film. I have ideas for other things I want to do on here as well. So, as ever, next week we're going big. As right now I am planning a Godzilla special. I will have a special guest with me to talk all things Godzilla. And there will be a review of the big new blockbuster first of two big new blockbusters coming up and so that should be a really interesting special episode talking about 
the greatest monster of them all. So, I shall catch you then. Whatever you're doing, however many films you're watching, whatever you're enjoying, have a great one. See you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.